0: In what we're doing now, we're getting to a feel of the world that is neither organic nor mechanical. Simply what it is. We don't know the contrast. Just as we don't know the contrast voluntary involuntary, we don't know the contrast organically. All right, folks, we're back. Meditations and Molotovs. I am your host, Vincent Emanuele. You are listening to the Progressive Radio Network, where you can find us every Monday at 2 p.m. East Coast time. That's 11 a.m. in the morning on the West Coast for you stoners who are just waking up in Washington, Oregon, and California. On today's program, we have a very special guest, Um, a person I have tremendous respect for, someone who I've known... God, I think for about a decade now. And so, yeah, without getting into too much other stuff, we'll we'll talk about recent events, we'll talk about organizing and all kinds of stuff. So today we're speaking with Robert Roberto Clack, who is a community organizer and a labor organizer who lives in Chicago. Roberto was the primary organizer and coordinator for Iraq Veterans Against the War, IVAW Chicago. He has also been an organizer with the Metropolitan Tenants Organization, MTO and the Restaurant Opportunity Center, ROC. He is currently the co-coordinator of the 25th Ward Independent Political Organization, or IPO. So, Roberto, welcome to the program, man.
1: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, man, Great it's to good to here. talk to you. So, I know we've just spent a whole weekend together, so I want to I wanna get into some of what you're doing right now. So, we'll start backwards, actually. Where are you today and what are you doing? Because I think this leads into our conversation.
1: I am in Joliet, Illinois, my hometown, Uh, and I can't talk about it in too much detail, but doing some um, uh, organizer of uh, supply chain workers um, here uh, concerning some of the warehouses and the uh, intermodal here in Joliet, Illinois, uh, which is the ninth largest container port in the
0: entire world. Wow, I don't think a lot of people know that.
1: Yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's quite a um you know, and it wasn't it wasn't actually here when I grew up. Um it's really changed the character of the entire community here. It's just a massive uh distribution hub that's you know, right in the middle of uh uh you know, Illinois, you know, right outside of Chicago. Um and uh hundreds of warehouses are here that distribute our everyday goods that we use.
0: And these are distributed throughout the United States.
1: Yes, throughout the United, you know, all, just all over the place, and you know, major major brands, Home Depot, Walmart, um, you know, just Walgreens, all all kinds of uh, places uh, move move their goods right
0: here in Joliet, Illinois. And you grew up in Joliet, so what, talk to us a little bit about growing up in Joliet. Did you come from? As I ask all guests who've ever been on any of my radio programs. Did you grow up an activist? Kind of talk to us a little bit about how you became involved, whether or not your family was political, and you know how it is that you became engaged with uh, political movements.
1: So, sure. so my um, uh, half of my family uh, was immigrants from Mexico, and um, the other half uh, were Tejanos from El Paso, right, right across the uh, a border. And um, you know, like a lot of people, I mean, there's. We talk about migration, um, from other countries, you know, but there's often migration within countries. So, uh, you know, they came up here, uh, looking for better job opportunities. Uh, and my father was lucky enough to, um, get a job in a, a major industry that was unionized, um, you know, which afforded a living wage and benefits and things like this. Um, so that, that was very positive. But, I mean, overall, um, you know, my family wasn't uh, very political, uh, nor was my extended family, I, you know, or really did I know anyone uh, who was involved with it growing up. So not, not till you know, really high school years.
0: Well, what was it during high school that tripped you off? Because as we've talked about, and I think probably as many people who are listening know, I mean, I was... Completely oblivious to all of this in high school, other than maybe a little bit of a class analysis, maybe a little bit of a understanding that unions were good, but other than that, I didn't really understand anything. so how did you get into this in high school? This has always fascinated me
1: i I, I you know I kind of picked up on the union uh, consciousness, not that um you know my father was a huge union activist or something like that, but he was on board. Uh, with it. So he wasn't one of these guys sitting around in a union shop who right hated the union. Um, you know, that wasn't the case, but I mean, and they're out there. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it's just from, you know, reading certain things. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a very cheesy story. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I started to read about, you know, environmental, uh, damage. Uh, you know, huge landfills, uh, you know, larger than, uh, you know, Manhattan and stuff like that. Uh, you know, carnivorous forest burning because of global warming and stuff like that. And I was, I was reading about this in the 90s. So I was really, you know, probably my first foray was really into, uh, you know, doing stuff in around the environment. And, uh, myself and some of my peers actually lobbied our school board to, uh, get recycling in our high school. We, we actually won and succeeded, and they um, brought in a recycling program in, in our high school. So that was, that was the first thing I, you know, really ever political um, that I was engaged in. Um,
0: and what, what year did you get out of high that. school, Roberto?
1: I was I got out of high school in
0: 98. Okay, so you're out in 98. So, you, so the sort of anti-globalization movement, did that have an impact on you in the oh, 90s? That,
1: that definitely had a huge impact on I me mean, i was i mean I would read books and you know kind of academically uh you know start to uh follow uh you know just research uh movement stuff but uh yeah you know that sort of you know for a lot of people like myself who were curious about uh that kind of organizing it kind of came out of left field but it was also a very inspiring movement and uh, after the Battle of Seattle, I, you know, and I, they they even have a term for us now. We're Seattle Boomers, apparently. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but I uh, heard that yeah, one. <laughs> you, Oh, you haven't. Everyone no, should no, know. That's so. awesome. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm essentially a Seattle Boomer, and you know, once I realized that there's a movement, I I did everything I could to kind of seek it out, and um, you know, eventually got involved with the friends. Uh, community organizing projects and activist projects
0: uh, down the line. So when did you move? When did you get to Chicago? So this is after high school. You graduate in ninety eight. What are you up to leading up to that moment? That sort of seminal moment in Seattle. And then what does your life look like from eighteen to twenty two? That sort of range.
1: Yeah. You know, I I um you know I've been working jobs and uh, going to school predominantly. Um, but it wasn't really till 2001 that I really, really got involved with um, some of the uh, more of the organizing uh, projects uh, going on. So that that was really when I, you know, I, I started to seek stuff out. I actually, uh, I it, wanted. It's almost embarrassing to admit now, but um, I, I did some work for the Nader campaign in 2000. Uh, was sort of another thing, you know. So the a lot of Seattle stuff uh, dovetail um, into the Nader campaign. Um, you know, and I that was when I really started to meet activists out here in the suburbs, uh, but also, you know, going to the city for events and stuff like that. Um, and eventually I got, um, you know, just kept at it and I uh, ended up with some, you know, pretty good internships, um, you know, at the Midwest Academy and learning how to do uh, political organizing and that, that was really helpful as far as sort of orientating, um uh, me around, you know, some of the nuts and bolts of, uh, doing organizing work, you know, and just not being a, an activist, you know, not, not that we don't need that, but you know, we also need, uh, you know, organizing is an actual skill and, you know, probably towards the later part of, uh, my youth, you know, I start to really learn about, um, you know, some of the actual concepts and, uh, tactics and strategies for organizing.
0: And what is, what is the Midwest Academy? So, cause people, okay, so let me back up two questions. One would be what was the, what was the Midwest Academy or what is the Midwest Academy and what were your sort of experiences there? And then the second thing would be, well, I'll just let, how about you just answer that and then we can just, we can move on. Cause I don't want to add too much.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, I think some people are familiar with some of the, you know, and this is, this is a very strong thing in, uh, Chicago's, uh, you know, Sal Alinsky uh, and the community organizing projects. A lot of them started here with these, uh, community-based groups that would, uh, organize. And, you know, people who read Rules for Radicals or uh, uh, that book, um, you know, would probably uh, be somewhat familiar. Uh, Woodalinsky's work, you know, talking about uh, coming up with tactics and goals and things like that, and how to uh, hold people of power um, accountable, and you know that people of power always have a name in the face, not some abstract idea. Um, and a, you know, long story short, is the Midwest Academy, um, you know, Kim Bobo and Steve Max and Kim Bobo. Was, I know I don't know her whole history, but she was with Interfaith Worker Justice uh, for many years. Uh and Steve Max he done um civil rights organizing, but he was also um he was also one of the founders of SDS. So he's done anti war uh movement work and they, they kind of uh coalesce a lot of the ideas that Alinsky and some of other community organizers uh had put out there and uh created a book uh which is which is a, a fairly uh, good resource um uh organizing for social change. Uh and to to really develop the curriculum around uh you know what people have already been doing and started an organizing school to uh give people skills on how to do organizing in their communities. Uh so that that's you know, it's a long story short.
0: Yeah, so this so then I'm thinking two thousand one You've learned some of these skills. 2001 takes place. Was it 9-11 that sort of shot you into a different realm of organizing, or was it, you know, I'm thinking of you being out of the Midwest Academy, having worked on former campaigns, Nader's campaign, single issue campaigns, single-issue um, campaigns. What What's happening around 2001, and what, what sort of furthers that political involvement?
1: Yeah, so I, I 2001 was, uh, I mean, so... And I think people forget about this, uh, history, but the anti-globalization movement was, uh, you know, it was pretty happening around this time. Uh, before September 11th, there's actually a, a large demonstration that was being planned to protest, uh, the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. Um, I think it was just an IMF that time. So that was going to be, uh, you know, if I remember correctly, September. On 30th, uh, of 2001, and there are many, there are many different groups organizing, uh, to protest that and, you know, to attempt to shut it down. Uh, and this had followed, you know, other, uh, actions that had happened, the FTA protest, FTAA, uh, um, protesting, uh, Quebec City, you know, as well as Seattle. And I can't even, uh, the GA, uh, demonstration in, in, uh, Genoa, Italy, uh, where hundreds of thousands of, uh, people have been protesting. One one activist actually got killed there by uh, the police, and that, that was a very, um, you know, shocking thing at the time. Even locally, uh, we, uh, you know, myself and some of my peers organized a radical uh, demonstration uh, in Naperville, Illinois, called Reclaim the Streets, uh, you know, where we took over the streets and was a militant anti-globalization uh, protest that that protest was actually done in solidarity with the g eight uh demonstrations that were happening in Genoa, italy so there was there's a pretty you know robust you know and i, I think very internationalist uh movement occurring at that time um leading up to september eleventh but i mean as soon as september eleventh happened it was, it was pretty immediate uhly known and we we knew all all knew at the time that it, it was gonna completely uh, changed the movement and, you know, destroyed, you know, I think some of us thought it would destroy the anti-globalization movement, which uh, unfortunately we were correct about because um, many of the protests were very offensive, um, you know, back in those days. And, uh, you know, just with the, you know, grow, it just totally changed the demeanor of society uh, September 11th. And, you know, suddenly, you know, the police state, was more empowered, you know. We were a country that was going going to war, uh, and you know, September 11th just completely. I, I it's, it's hard to uh, stress this enough, but it, it completely changed uh, all all. And not just the anti-globalization movement stuff, uh, but also a lot of community organizations and labor unions. I would say it it changed the uh, the course of you know what was going to happen.
0: So it's two thousand one September eleven takes place. Are you living in the city at this time now
1: yeah i'm I'm living in the city and doing organizing um i mean so, so i mean and you know people were people knew what was gonna happen right away i mean i was I was a twenty one year old who didn't really know anything uh at that time, but I knew the country was going to war, and that the bush uh administration would uh take advantage of this uh moment to, you know, do the most reactionary things possible. Uh so we knew what was coming and is I there was a uh very large it was actually the largest anti war meeting I've ever been to and I was very involved in the anti war movement, uh basically from its inception, which I at least in Chicago this was at the inception was there there was a there is a uh organizing meeting Around, uh, anti-war organizing two days after September 11th in Chicago, organized by the Direct Action Network Chicago, uh, literally hundreds of, uh, people showed up to organize on how to, uh, oppose the, the, you know, incoming, the, uh, war that was about to happen in, in Afghanistan. So, I mean, there's a good, you know, Uh, There's a good group of us who knew, had a pretty good idea of what direction the country was going to start to go. Um, You know, we we attempted to be proactive about uh, what was happening um, politically with uh, everything that was going on then.
0: So you were working with the anti-war movement for at least, this is 2001, so at least three years prior to IVAW even being a reality. So, oh, so yeah, during for, that period between 2001 and you working with IVAW, talk to me about that period.
1: Uh, well, you know, I, I've done a, a lot of, you know, I think uh, I, I did get, end up getting focused with um, a lot of uh, anti-war stuff. So organizing demonstrations and uh, turning out uh, uh, people to that, um, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was younger, so I wasn't even really in a leadership role, uh, quite yet. But I, you know, I was definitely a full-time participant and, uh, it took up a, a lot of, uh, my time. Uh, you know, one of the things I did do is, uh, there, there was actually a large, um, uh, anti globalization I mean, it, it didn't quite die immediately after September 11th, the anti-globalization movement. We did have one large, uh, demonstration in 2002 that I was, I was a lead for, um, against the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, agreement. And that, that, that was a, just for a little context, that was, um uh, you know, one of these, uh, uh, you know, sort of trade agreements, uh, you know, one of these international, uh, finance groups that made, uh, agreements and business deals between Europe and North America. And they had a, they had a large, uh, they had a large meeting in Chicago in 2002 after September 11th. And, uh, you know, that was sort of an interesting t- thing too, is that the, um, police, you know, very opportunistically, uh, used that to, you know, spend millions of dollars on, on police equipment and gear by exaggerating the extent of what the protest was going to be. Um, so that, that was something I worked on, but I mean, you know, pretty much, Um, you know, doing community organizing and anti-war work is, uh, what I did. And between those times, um, you know, between, uh, you know, that and, you know, doing work with Iraq veterans against the war. So I, I'd always, you know, done something no, no matter what.
0: What do you think were some of the mistakes that were made during that initial period? Looking back on it now. You know, and and so to spare any criticism and to spare us to have to keep going into this, a lot of this conversation will hopefully be good reflections and critiques about what we what we've both have seen, what you've seen primarily over the years, and what what you think we could have done different, what you think could have been better. From two thousand one, the direct action com- uh, network meeting two days after nine eleven to the time that you're working with IVAW, looking back now, what were some of the good things that the movement did? Maybe we should start positively. And then the second thing I would ask is what are some of the critiques you would have now looking back on that period?
1: Well, I you know, I think we were right. I mean, in the history history has you know proven that. You know, we were right about the the war on terror. We were right about uh Iraq uh being a mistake. We were right about uh these, you know, uh these global uh trade deals like NAFTA and uh, you know, the WTO and IMF just, you know, really hurting not only people here, but uh, around the world. You know, I, I think one of the things I did, I think there's more international, uh you know, sort of solidarity in organizing with the anti-globalization movement. So I do have to particularly uh, highlight that. Cause I, I think that was a very uh, positive aspect of that particular movement. So I... I mean all of those things I uh, you know, I think we did really well and I mean we were we were sort of timely with uh our responses uh a lot of time, you know, to things. Um, uh, you know, so I, I would say those are you know, definitely they're, you know, positives to be uh uh taken away from that. You know, the I, I guess uh, you know, as far as some of the you know, what we call this is deltas and the community organizing world. I think you would know that because you're ex military. Um, you know, but some of the things that, you know, maybe could have been better is I like, you know, I don't I you know, I don't know, it's it's one of the elephants in the room, but uh I mean from two days after September eleventh it's pretty immediately clear that on the left had started to eat its own tail with the way that some of the uh you know the groups who are involved with those meetings worked. Um, you know, just a general uh you know there's just just a lot of uh sectarian groups out there um uh, but also I think um you know I think there's needs to there's something to be said about um, you know ha, you know having really a clear vision for people that uh we want to put out there but also um you know I think uh some of the The nuts and bolts of organizing our you know those are things that we need to probably instill and take time to teach people about more Uh, and I I think it's you know particularly important to point out now because I I see uh, some of the Trump's organizing that's happening and one of my concerns is it's you know sort of very similar to what we already did with the Bush organizing but how can we kind of learn from the bushier organizing and, you know, have a more sophisticated and better movement, I guess, is, is one
0: of the questions. Well, and I, I that's a question that I'm more than interested in exploring here. And I know that that's something that you want to get to as well. It's something I definitely want to get to. Um, so we're going to get back to that. But I do want to, I want to stay with sort of a timeline of your involvement and then bringing us up to the point where sort of you and I meet and we're doing IVAW work. So in 2004, 2005 when IBaw is created, when when did you start working with the Chicago chapter?
1: Um I I want to say I didn't start working with the Chicago it is either I think it was 2000 uh earlier in the year 2007 actually. Um, oh, Okay. Yeah, so I don't think I even I don't, I didn't even really know about it. I didn't even know about, and I, I'd been a pretty dedicated, uh, anti-war organizer and activist, and I, I didn't even know about, uh, Vietnam veterans against the war, um, either, you know, so I, I didn't really have a, you know, big consciousness around uh, the anti-war veterans movement. It, it, it wasn't really something that occurred to me that, uh, would exist, so. I, so I, I, I remain active with the anti-war movement stuff. Um I, mean, I, I don't even know. I mean, I, I heard about, you know, the, the veteran stuff from uh, people in the movement. I'd gotten invited by someone and I actually, I went to the first, the first event that IVAW ever had in Chicago. Um there was a, there was a speak out. Um, you know, and that's, that's the first time I kind of met uh, different people. So I think the public event was maybe before your retreat or it was after your retreat that, that had um, okay. Okay. Then, so you not initially have one to.
0: Okay. So you start working with IBAW. You mm-hmm. meet each other. There's events like Winter Soldier. There's all kinds of protests. There's speaking events if you're essentially a speaker's hero for the first couple of years. Um, and then uh, Obama is elected in two thousand eight. What do you make of what happened when Obama was elected? Like, kind of bring us up to that period. You know, I think, I
1: think, uh, you know, I was cautiously optimistic that it, it could be a, you know, especially after, you know, the trauma of the the Bush years. I mean, the Bush years were just completely awful, and I, I don't, you know, I. I think a lot of people might forget that, um, you know, but it was, I mean, the Bush years were just a serious setback, uh, for the movement, um, and I mean, so I, you know, I, there was, I did have, you know, some cautious, um, you know, optimism that, you know, hey, maybe this is a, you know, uh, change in the right direction, but, you know, clearly eight years of uh hindsight you know uh like like many people you know i'm extremely disappointed that uh not much was done so
0: so what are some of the lessons that you're learning through working with anti-war veterans other than most of us are kind of crazy (laughs) (laughs) what do you what do you learn during those years you know you're working with anti-war vets Obviously, have an opportunity to do a lot of traveling with us, bouncing around. Um, so, outside of say the scope of just Obama getting elected, what do you? What are some of the lessons learned from working with IVAW?
1: Yeah, so I, you know, I spent pretty much, uh, you know, parts of six years, um, you know, doing anti-war organizing um, before I really like knew, you know, worked with any. Uh, veterans groups or things like that. And, you know, we had seen, I mean, we're, you know, in 2003 when I first started to do uh organizing, I mean, most people supported the war. I mean, so when you go out and sort of uh, fly signs and try to, uh you know, talk to the community around what was going on, I mean, people were pretty nasty to us in 2003. I mean, there was even an incident of, um, you know, People throwing eggs at us and wanting to start fights with us and all this kind of crazy, uh, stuff. So, I mean, it, you know, we weren't necessarily that well received. Um, you know, <laughs> but after, after two or three years, I mean, the society's youth did change, you know, so we were able to, I mean, I feel like in a way we were able to get, I, we were at least able to change, help, you know, change the, uh, you know, attitudes and views of, uh, of society, you know, obviously the government still did what it did. So we, we weren't powerful enough to change the government, which I think is important to point out that, uh, shortcoming. Uh, uh, but so that, you know, so, you know, there's, there's a lot we got done, but, uh, you know, one of the things that was very obvious from working with veterans is that, you know, immediately, uh, there is this power and legitimacy. Uh, that the general public, um, you know, had towards some of the, uh, members and, and these different groups that, you know, we, you know, even though we'd done a lot of work for, for years on this, uh, that we, you know, frankly, as activists, we didn't have that uh, same sort of command with, uh, people out of the audience. So, you know, I, and it, it just showed me how much, uh, power, uh, veterans have and sort of, uh, influencing opinions and attitudes in our society, just a great amount of, uh, respect and seriousness that people, uh, had for the members of this group. You know, I, I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how, how much compared to, you know, what it was like, you know, going through my own experiences. And I, I know this comes at a cost for, uh, many of the people who serve, but I, you know, I would always tell, the members that, you know, just it's just crazy how much power you have and you don't even quite realize it, you know, and whether that's uh, ending war or getting better health care at the uh, VA or uh, doing work in your community, you know, there's a lot of uh, respect and power veterans have that's given to them, um, you know, because of their status in society.
0: And you see it right now with Standing Rock.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, and that's a great example, Uh, you know, and I always, I always encourage and challenge, you know, the veterans I knew to do more organizing because of the the status they have with, you know, uh, not only their peers and family members and things like that, but the general public.
0: Right, right. No, you're absolutely correct. So we're in 2013 or 2012. Let's talk. Briefly about some of the things that happened leading up to where we are now, because I do want to talk. Uh, take at least probably the last fifteen minutes of the of the show to talk about what's happening now and suggestions for people who are just getting involved, and of course, folks who are out there listening to this. This won't be the last time that I have Roberto on the program. There's, you know, he's been very busy. I've been busy, we've been looking to match this up, it's happened, we're going to make it happen again. So we're not going to be able to fit every single thing that we probably wanted to talk about today in today's program, and that's okay, we'll have him back. But I do want to talk about, say, 2011, we have the occupation of the Madison, Wisconsin uh, Capitol building uh, for labor rights. We have 2012, you were, were one of the primary organizers in what was the last major demonstration uh, anti-war demonstration and, and and series of actions in the united states and then we move through occupy and then up until let's say where we are now what what do you what i know that's a lot but i i just kind of what are some brief reflections you think of that time period we're talking now 2011 going into we're, we've seen what obama is all about the left is is sort of rebuilding itself i would say there's you know the first few years of obama it was really tough i mean and see too much going on and obviously we see with the sort of surge of this uh, tea party, if you can call it a movement, whatever it was, takes power in 2010. The left feels very defeated. But then there's a series of things that happen that I think are quite positive, starting with Wisconsin moving through Occupy and the uh, major events and protests that were put on the medal returning ceremony in Chicago, uh, the anti-NATO protest. You,
1: you, know, yeah, you know, I think... You know, I think there's definitely a lesson from, you know, I guess I'll start off with Occupy, that, you know, I think it did sort of help, you know, change the narrative in our society. And I I really, I think without Wisconsin and Occupy, you don't really get Bernie Sanders being a major presidential candidate um, this past election cycle. Um, You know, so, I mean, in, some of the effects of, or, I mean, some sometimes you can make, you know, sort of d- direct correlations between organizing, um, you know, that happens and sort of the results. And sometimes it's uh, more, um, you know, it's not not so not not as concrete, um, you know. So in regards to Wisconsin, you know, I seen you know really that was, I mean, that was great organizing and Wisconsin happened before Occupy and I think sort of laid some of the groundwork uh, for that movement moment. Uh, you know, but you kind of see the results of what happened there and it's, it's not good. Um, you know, and that, that, that includes, um, uh, that includes, uh, Wisconsin going for Trump this past election, you know, really the labor unions were decimated, uh, after that, you know, and they're really in opposition to, you know, for all the faults, uh, that some of the labor unions have, they, they really are an opposition group to, uh, some of these reactionary, uh, right wing politicians, you know, and you sort of see the trajectory things are going there. Um, you know, so.
0: Hello. Oh yeah. Sorry about that. No, Um, it's okay. Go ahead. I I, look. One of the first things I would say is, I, I mean, can you also talk about what had happened there? I mean, at least from your perspective. I mean, I've talked about this in previous shows. You see, sort of the major unions. Now, I don't want to talk too much because I want you to talk. But some of what I saw was that the Democrats and some of the establishment unions, the Hoffas of the world, in other words, sort of. Uh, you know, the MSNBCs of the world descended on Madison and turned what I thought was a lot of popular energy that was maybe at that time very unclear what the 120,000 people who were showing up to march in the middle of the in the middle of February in a foot of snow, uh, basically in a mini blizzard, um, 120,000 people in the street, not sure what they're doing, maybe not that much organizational structure. However, when the Democrats moved in, and I forget what his name is, former mayor of Milwaukee, Tim Tom Johnson, Tim Barrett. something. I think Barrett, yeah. right? Right. So, so they they put him up as the oppositional candidate they want to recall, or what is it? What was it? A recall?
1: It was a it was a recall, which you know they eventually lost. But yeah, I, and you're right. You know, I think this goes back to sort. I mean sort of the missed opportunities we've had as a movement, um, you know, and I, I don't know, I don't know quite what it is, um, you know, but you have a lot of leadership, um, you know, and it's, it's not just labor unions. It's actually a lot of NGOs too, who, you know, sort of calibrate that, you know, we, we need to center a sort of, uh, you know, by, you know, Mayor Baird from Milwaukee or whatever, you know, we're going to put him forward as the response to, uh, to Scott Walker. Meanwhile, you know, Baird's some, you know, Rahm Emanuel type neoliberal, uh, you know, and it just, you know, and I think people get this on some level, uh, you know, but the other, the other real missed opportunity with Wisconsin is, you know, it's probably what was more appropriate was, some kind of militant direct action. And, and the workers at that time were there. Um, you know, it's probably the one time in modern history that, uh, you know, people call for general strikes all the time. But, um, you know, you could have done some sort of more, you know, whether it's a general strike or not, uh, something was, you know, more militant was called for in that situation. And, you know, sort of this middle-of-the-road approach was actually the losing uh, choice and I, you know, I think we saw that clearly with, uh, Clinton and Sanders, um, even more recently. Um, but yeah, you know, we keep, we keep making the same mistakes, uh, over and over. And, you know, I just, it's, it's unfortunate because a lot of these things aren't, a lot of these decisions aren't being made by rank and file members. And I mean, democracy and rank and file votes are, You know that that's a whole tricky thing too, Um, but you know people keep making the wrong mistakes. um, You know, and it's how how do we sort of learn and uh, move move past that? You know, and really learn from that. So I I mean those those I mean Wisconsin, yeah. There's a lot to take away from Wisconsin. You know, as well as uh, Occupy, which uh, you know I think change things in a positive way, but they didn't really leave uh, any lasting institutions for uh, working class people. And, you know, I think, you know, I think people get lulled into this idea of, you know, and I think even, you know, during our anti-war days, you know, we thought, of, you know, we just do this next action, if we just do Winter Soldier, uh, if we just do this, if we just do that, like this is the thing that's going to spark a change. And, you know, I just, I just don't think organizing works that way. I mean, I think you can do things strategically that kind of, uh, create more possibilities and, uh, highlight a certain situation. And I think that's certainly what Occupy did. Uh, but it, you know, didn't necessarily leave a lasting organization and institution that could really work towards, uh, changing power dynamics in our society and, um, you know, being a real answer for working class uh, people and, you know, things that they face in their day-to-day life, Um, you know, whether it's the lack of insurance or poor pay or wage theft, or, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, the high expense of education. These are the issues that people actually want to have, you know, they want answers and they need uh, these things addressed. And, you know, this is the space that, uh... these organizations should be filling in you know labor unions do uh... in a lot of ways Um, you know but we're uh... you know also at the same time you know some of these, these organizations are sh- shrinking and not growing and that that's a very serious concern and problem
0: well and some of this and i'll i mean i'll i'll say this from my perspective i mean some of this is unfortunately their own fault i mean we all know so a lot of people who are going to listen to this podcast I think probably have a good understanding that the right has always been against labor unions and that there's always been the struggle, especially big business and banks. And as Chomsky and others have noted, the United States has probably the most violent labor history in in the industrialized world. That being said, I think what's important for the people who are going to listen to this, and I'm going to transcribe this interview and get it out as well so the people who will read this, is that the unions—I mean, I was thinking when you mentioned Wisconsin— of course the problem there but then I was also thinking you mentioned Clinton and of course the vast majority of unions in the United States at least their leadership and officially endorsed Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders and the same thing happened in Chicago with Rahm Emanuel and Chewy Garcia so I'm you know and these lessons I think it's not to it's not I, I mean I'll say this and I'm sure you feel the same way The point of this isn't just to ran rave about unions. The point of this is that we need need a better organized labor because for all of us to achieve the goals that we want to achieve, uh, roughly or vaguely, whatever those goals may be, liberal, progressive, left-wing, radical goals, a good organized labor, more democratic, more inclusive, more responsive to where the rank and file is, uh, more willing to reach out, to other social justice issues and, and help other movements with their enormous amount of resources and, and institutional capacities. That's what we're looking to do. And so, you know, when we're talking about this or when we're critiquing the unions, I just want people out there to understand the point of this, I think for both of us is to create better movements, better organizations uh, so we can be more effective.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, I think both, you know, with the, the Rom and the Clinton thing was, you know, I those are good lessons of, you know, political miscalculations by um you know some of our leadership and you know, I think there's a lot of reflection going on, especially uh after Trump. But, you know, I think it's also good to acknowledge the positive things uh, you know, that some of the unions have been involved with, you know, one of one of which is the fight for fifteen. Um, you know, and we we actually need unions to Invest in more projects like this is, uh, you know, part, you know, that collaborates with community groups, uh, you know, and, and fighting for this, uh, these kinds of changes. And I mean, it, municipality after municipality, uh, throughout the United States, you know, has passed, you know, either earned sick time, which I worked on, uh, personally, uh, our minimum wage ordinances. Um, you know, so I just, you know, we, these, you know, these, these large organizations can create space to, you know, really make pretty profound differences, uh, in, in people's lives, you know, and I think, I think encouraging, uh, these large organizations to work on things like this is, it's important from their, that, you know, uh, it's important from, for them to hear from their allies that, look, this is what you want. You, this is what we want you to do. You know, I'd also highlight the nurses union who very early on was on the uh, Bernie bandwagon and, you know, really made it something into something big. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know that, uh, uh, as much, uh, you know, Bernie would have been, uh, uh, as big a thing without a, you know, union that's very serious about the organizing and has some resources, uh, getting behind, uh, something like that. You know, so I think it's also important to acknowledge that, you know, but you know, also, uh, the Teamsters for a Democratic, uh, union, you know, came very close to, uh, uh, getting, um, uh, reforms laid in, you know, and I think movements like that are also, uh, things that we need to support because if, uh, uh, Teamsters would have went sort of within the progressive wing of, uh, the labor movement the way that uh, SCIU and the nurses sort of take up space. I think it would have been a tremendous uh, benefit to our society and really could shake things up. Uh, you know, so I think it's a combination of, you know, and there are grassways, grassroots ways to get involved with, um, you know, rank and file labor organizing to try to improve the leadership. Uh, but I think we're also going to need organizations outside of that kind of structure you know, that are getting more serious about their organizing.
0: Um, and you, you've worked with many different structures. You've worked within labor movements and with labor movements. You've worked with NGOs for many years. Um, you've been a member, I think, of both. And then also, you know, now I'm interested in what you're doing today in the Pilsen neighborhood with the 25th Ward Independent Political Organization, otherwise known as the 25th Ward IPO it, this is the work that you were just talking about. I mean this is this is outside the scope of an NGO and it's also outside the scope of say a traditional union. Well, how did this project start? What's your role within it now and what you know what are you what are you learning from doing the work that you're doing? Cuz I find the work that you're doing right now to be extremely fascinating. I mean this is essentially what's happening in Northwest Indiana with the progressive coffee caucuses. I think I see the same thing if people uh, I think are willing to commit the time and effort necessary to create those institutions. Nonetheless, tell us about what you're doing now with the 25th Ward IPO.
1: So the the 25th Ward Independent Political Organization uh, was something that was uh, you know really restarted after the mayoral um, election here in uh, 2015, uh, where Chuy Garcia I uh, had successfully. Um, gone uh, into a runoff with Mayor Emanuel. Um in the you know, the purpose the purpose of uh you know some of the different IPOs are you know, they're political uh organizations that work on electoral uh campaigns. But as as many people know about Chicago and this, this goes for many other uh major urban cities in the United States, that there's only uh one party Um, in town, it's a one party city. Um, you know, so our, our point is, you know, uh, our point is not to be a part of that, you know, the democratic party, uh, political structure, you know, which has historically been, uh, corrupt, uh, in Chicago and, you know, not met the needs of, uh, working class people in, in the city. Uh, you know, so the purpose, you know, we are building political power outside of the Democratic Party. And, and we do, we do support, uh, uh, Democrats, um, uh, strategically, uh, but we're, you know, we're formerly not a part of the uh, party. Bernie Sanders is a good example of someone we supported and worked, uh, very hard for. Uh, so we did some campaigning for that. Uh, our award went, uh, 60% for, uh, Bernie Sanders, and the, we're, were a, a plurality Latino ward, um, and uh, so that was one of the highest percentages of the city. Uh, Joey Garcia, who you mentioned before, did a was one of Sanders' surrogates and did a lot of campaigning. And our, our congressional district was uh, um, the only uh, majority uh, Latino district that actually went for Sanders. Uh, you know, which, which happened because of a lot of groups like the, uh, 25th Ward IPO. You know, I could also mention the 12th Ward and, uh, 22nd Ward IPOs, uh, who are our neighbors, uh, south of us in McKinley Park and, uh, west and south of us in Little Village, who also, uh, supported, uh, Bernie Sanders. You know, so it had a lot to do with, uh, you know, these kinds of organizations going out door to door is the reason uh, we won our, our, awards. Uh, we won 13 out of 14 awards, uh, for Sanders. So we, we support, uh, uh, political candidates, you know, but we're really what we're attempting to do is to build an institution, uh, that exists, uh, outside of the, uh, mainstream Democratic Party in Chicago. Um, you know, and it, it, it really works well for us, uh, at least in regards to the automatic, Elections, because they're non partisan races, uh so you don't have to declare for a party, so it just makes a lot of sense to um you know tell people that you know we're uh and to organize as independents because you know we don't have to it doesn't it doesn't have a huge impact on uh the actual local races um and we can build some local independent power outside of you know what's traditionally been. Uh, pretty corrupt institution uh, in the city.
0: So now Trump wins. where A lot of people are organizing. A lot of people are becoming interested who weren't otherwise interested. There's sort of a moment, I think, personally, to capture people's attention and energy if we can plug them into viable and, I think, interesting, vibrant, effective political organizations. what What are some of the lessons you think because we talked a lot about – we talked in very positive and very critical ways of the Sanders campaign, but I don't want to focus on him or the campaign as much as I want you to sort of talk about some of the things you've learned, some of the things we've talked about in terms of how people reacted to the campaign. I mean I think the people who outright dismissed it were a little silly. I think there was an opportunity to organize people and we're seeing that and to get people engaged with these political movements. We're seeing a lot of people here in northwest Indiana and other parts of the country who are engaged because of that campaign and looking to do something outside of the Democratic Party or looking to do something to continue their political involvement. Um, but but also, what do you think, you know, what would you tell people who are just starting out? These are people who maybe just became engaged through the Sanders campaign 18 months ago. They haven't been, you know, activists uh, for many for for a long time and, and maybe not as informed or so on about uh, organizing and, and maybe the history of these movements and how social movements function. What, what's some of the advice you would give to them in this current context uh, with Donald Trump on the horizon?
1: Well, you know, I think, I think in a way this, you know, we're not going to be able to get rid of Donald Trump in the next four years. So how do, how do we sort of change the, you know, political landscape and discourse? And, you know, just speaking very, you know, I think that there are different ways to do that, but I'm going to speak a, to this point, uh, at least, you know, as far as an electoral strategy. It, and I, that, that's just one way to sort of engage people. You know, I mean, you can do workplace, uh, organizing. You can, you know, do issue-based organizing in your community. You can do direct action type organizing, stopping pipelines in, uh, South Dakota. But it is in regards to, uh, to the electoral realm. I, I mean, when we worked on the Sanders campaign, I, I think, you know, what we you know we very much understood that it was it was a long shot uh sort of thing and you know what we really wanted to do was you know use this moment to you know it kind of open up space on the left for uh, you know what's traditionally talked about uh you know so like the free free healthcare free free college education you know uh, things that were sort of taboo within the, you know, mainstream democratic party. Uh, you know, so it, it helped us, you know, be able to have more acceptance, uh, of the issues we care about, you know, electorally and like really, uh, create space there. But really what, what, what the real opportunity we saw was that it was a way to really, uh, meet people and, uh, use sort of the, you know, movement or the, the, Sanders moment to actually organize our own local community. Uh, and that, that was a and to use that to meet people to help build our, uh, structure and infrastructure and our organization locally. Uh, you know, cause it, you know, it's very ambitious to try to get a president, you know, to win our, you know, I would say even, uh, you know, uh, uh U.S., uh, you know, they have the brand new Congress and stuff like that. Uh, which is, you know, we want a brand new U.S. Congress, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know if we should even, you know, I, I think, you know, people want, may want to, uh, you know, be more even modest in their goals. You know, maybe we need a brand new, uh, school board or we need a, uh, brand new city council. You know, I, you know, I think we may want to work on things that are more achievable, uh, but I think you need a strong organization to sort of, uh, you know, help do that. And, you know, the other point about, uh, the organizations is, you know, you can get these charismatic, uh, politicians to, you know, who are maybe saying all the right things, um, you know, come along your way and you work hard for them. Uh, but there's no actual organizing structure once they get in office to hold them accountable, you know, and then they sort of do what they want. You know, I was all about them and not really empowering the community. And I, I think the IPO structure actually Um, it's, you know, created to sort of uh, get past that dynamic about things just being about personalities or specific politicians, but it's actually more about a group and the sets of principles and politics that uh, you have and that you're, you know, communicating with the uh, electoral public, uh, you know, voters. So I I think that, you know, I think, you know, these are sort of the uh, things the, the IPOs are are trying to do, um, you know. And the, the Sanders campaign in that political moment definitely helped us out a lot, as far as meeting, you know, other like-minded people.
0: All right, well, buddy, we got about a couple minutes left, I think, maybe a minute and a half. You have any final thoughts for today? Like I said, for folks who are listening to this, we'll definitely have Roberto back on the program. Hopefully, even in, even in a more relaxed environment, maybe in person and so on. But yeah, any final thoughts for folks out there?
1: I, you know, I think the most important thing is, you know, people really, we need to really figure out how to do more local organizing, how to engage our, our neighbors, you know, have some very serious conversations about what they care about, how they want society to look. Um, you know, I just, I just think we need to really, um, you know, dig deep and, you know, build some organizations with some serious roots. Uh, cause, yeah, on the federal level, things are going to be a disaster, but we can, we can start to change things locally. And, you know, if we uh, do that in enough localities, it will shape a national movement. Um, you know, we're going to need it more than ever now.
0: Right on. You were just hearing or listening to Robert Clack, community organizer, friend, and someone we will have back on the program. Thanks for coming on, Roberto. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks. You can catch us next Monday here again at 2 p.m. East Coast time. Meditations in Molotovs. I am your host, Vince Emanuele. You are listening to the Progressive Radio Network. See you next week.